Hello and welcome to Unboxing Christianity, the podcast in which we seek to unbox and explore all things to do with the Christian faith. In this podcast, I'm joined by Shannon Campbell, and Shannon is a Christian who worships in and is a part of the Roman Catholic Church. Today, we will be exploring Catholicism, uh, looking at the Christian faith through the lens of uh, the Roman Catholic Church, and also highlighting some misconceptions about the Church uh, that sometimes are found in Protestant circles. So I hope that you will enjoy this podcast and learn something from it. So without further ado, let's get stuck in. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to um, today's podcast. Thank you for uh, tuning in. And today's podcast, we have uh, a very interesting uh, guest uh, who's come to uh, chat with me. Um, this, I've got Shannon Campbell on with me. Shannon, how are you? Good, Matthew. I'm great, thanks. The sun's out today, so I'm happy. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the main thing. It's good to see uh, the sun uh, back out. And obviously, in this podcast, we're um, sort of diving a little bit deeper into... Um, as you've probably seen from the title of this podcast, uh, Roman Catholicism, as obviously this podcast is centered around focusing on different expressions um, of Christianity. So, Shan, before we get stuck into some uh, interesting questions, it's, um, I'm super excited to be chatting to you. Um, but would you like to share a little bit about yourself for people listening in? Like, who are you? Uh, just share a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I'm a recent graduate of St. Mary's University College in Belfast. So I studied teaching there. Um, for four years and graduated last July um, but I realized kind of maybe halfway through St Mary's that um, I still wanted to be a teacher but I definitely wanted to try something different before I kind of settled down with the teaching so at the minute I'm working as pastoral manager in the Catholic chaplaincy at Queen's University um, and I love it it's it's such a great job very rewarding and and really developmental for me in my faith um, and it allows me as well to to study part-time as well so I'm studying uh, Christian theology at Trinity at the moment too so it's a nice balance to have. Very nice I know it's uh when Natalie mentioned to me that you were uh, studying I was like oh, so am I I'm studying Trinity um, yeah. and I'll, I'll be resume but um it's free on, on Trinity so yeah I should say that obviously um the, the connection was between uh, Natalie and yourself you um was it you went away on a was a what, what was that? Yeah, it was, I think it was called a pilgrimage of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was mark the centenary of the end of and um, different places like that, a group of Catholic young adults and Protestant young adults. So yeah, it was really good. Nice. So yeah, that's, that's where the connection comes in um, for you, Natalie. Um, so that's 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 good. Well, thank you for sharing um, a little bit about. It. We're going to dive a little bit more into um, sort of your job and, and that sort of thing. But you said you mentioned obviously, or it was said that um, you are Roman Catholic, and that's yeah, you're from the, the Roman Catholic Church. And um, so, just explain a little bit about your faith journey. How did um, how and when did you become a Christian, um, and did you grow up in the Catholic Church? Yeah, um, my faith journey is a rather unconventional one, I would say, and. Um, and I think that stems from the fact that I grew up in a mixed household whereby my mum is Anglican and my dad's Catholic. Um, so I had a Catholic family and Catholic grandparents and a Protestant family and Protestant grandparents. Um, so my sisters and I were all sent to an integrated primary school, which made perfect sense um, and was a great experience for all of us. I would, would never change that. 
Um, but then when it came to going to secondary school, my parents chose a Catholic school for us. Um, and that really is where things changed for me and where my faith journey probably actually began. And um, I was surrounded by teachers, particularly RA teachers, who I could see got so much joy from their faith. I really looked up to them. And um, so when they were suggesting things to me, like joining a parish youth group um, and getting involved in things like the John Paul II Award, uh, going on a pilgrimage to the Lourdes, for example, I jumped at those opportunities because they were being recommended to me by people I trusted and by people I looked up to. And um, so my faith was very much nurtured at secondary school level. Um, and I was particularly blessed that my school had a full-time chaplain, um, which I think is quite rare for a secondary school. And it was their job to nourish faith among students and he had a huge impact. So I'm really grateful to him. Um, and then because I didn't go to a Catholic primary school, I received all my sacraments. Like um, I was baptized as a baby, but things like First Holy Communion and Confirmation, I then decided myself to do later on during my time in secondary school. So um, I'm definitely continuing my faith journey right up to the present and becoming stronger, I would say, in it every day. And I learn more about my faith every day. So it's a great journey to be on. And you can imagine then why I went on to train to become an RE teacher. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's incredible. And um, interesting that uh, so you grew up in, in kind of... Uh, your mother, you said, was an Anglican. Your dad, obviously, Roman Catholic. I'm sure that was interesting. Um, did you ever have you ever been to an Anglican church before? Yeah, yeah. Um, whenever I was younger, I, I would have went with my granny and um, quite a bit, um, and then I would have went to mass with my other granny. So <laughs> I had the best of both worlds growing yeah. up, and it was really nice. Um, and definitely, um, I have an outlook whereby I see them as so similar rather than so different. And I think that's because I was lucky to have an experience of both. Yeah. Yeah. And that's fascinating because I, I've sort of kind of found myself, obviously I'm an Anglican at the moment. It wasn't always an Anglican um, sort of Presbyterian kind of congregational upbringing. Um, and it's really recently I've become an, an Anglican, but I've been totally fascinated with the kind of, uh, how the Anglican Church is, is quite similar to the Roman Catholic Church. However, there is obviously differences. Um, but that's what's fascinated me. I, I've over the past, I mean, I've said in a previous podcast um, that I've had a fascination with the Roman Catholic Church. I've spent a lot of time, uh, you know, and a lot of money reading up on it, and and uh, over over the past year in lockdown. So um, that's another reason why I'm I'm excited to have you on to chat more about that uh, with someone who's actually part of the Roman Catholic Church. And uh, so that's that's interesting. But you said you mentioned about your job and um, so explain a little bit about your job um, that's obviously uh, heavily focused on your faith it's a job that is centered around your faith you know it's the pastoral manager in queen's university yeah so explain a little bit about that and uh, what what sort of things do you do and uh, what does a day look like yeah um so as you mentioned i work at the catholic chaplaincy as pastoral manager and as a chaplaincy we provide vital lifelines of support in what is a vibrant hub of faith and friendship at the heart of here of Queen's University campus. Um, and we help students to develop a reflective habit of mind and integrate time and space into their daily lives and reflect on how their studies fit into that bigger picture. And um, so not only do we help them address immediate crisis, but invite them to become agents of change concerned for things like the common good, social justice, care for the environment. And um, so that in a very general sense is 
um, kind of our goal and our mission. But in terms of a typical day, to be honest, no two days are the same, which is something I love about the job. Um, but under normal circumstances, so not at the minute, but um, we have math every day. We meet with students. Um, we're very lucky that our ground floor is a cafe, so there's a lot of coffee consumed in a day. Um, and we also hold events, which um, we're lucky to still be able to hold, but via Zoom, obviously. Um, and these vary from mental health and wellbeing workshops to catechesis, testimonies, lectures on faith topics. Um, so an example of one we have coming up is with Sister Natalie Beckhart, who Pope Francis recently appointed as undersecretary to the Synod of Bishops. So she's the first ever woman to hold that role. And she'll be speaking into her own testimony and a bit about the role of women in the church. So that's something we're looking, really looking forward to and is an example of the kind of talks that we would hold here. Okay, very nice. So there's, it's a very active role then and there's always something, something to be done. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it's interesting me coming from a youth worker in an Anglican church, and obviously I'm, my main focus is um, the church and you know the young people that come along with the church, and um, so it's it is such a fascinating that you're involved. I suppose you come across uh, a lot of young people who are going through that stage at uni. So there's some people come in and then once they're finished uni, obviously they'll move on. And, and how do you find that? I mean, is it that constant sort of turnover? Is that something that's encouraging? Um, you know, and, and how does that, how does it work out? Do you, would you, is it from first years to third years? Is there a different range of people? Yeah, um, it's definitely a changing landscape, sometimes complex landscape. Um, people will engage with chaplaincy for a variety of reasons. Some will seek pastoral and faith support for immediate crisis and vulnerabilities, mental health and wellbeing issues and other students are estranged from their families, often, especially first year and international students. Um, and then we get part-time and mature students who are often caregivers and they have additional needs and supports. Um, so the vital lifelines of support we provide um, whenever students are faced with particular stresses and vulnerabilities can often make the difference between a student dropping out or seeing through their degree. And they come from such a variety of backgrounds. And um, our students, are keen to explore in a non-judgmental environment the bigger questions in life and, and to grow in their knowledge and understanding of the Catholic faith and tradition. And, and that's something we're supportive of for everyone who comes through the door. Nice, yeah. And, and as opposed to that, obviously you meet some you know, incredible characters and you meet some different people. Have you, do you have any like, memorable experiences or, or something that maybe it's happened that's really kind of made you think, wow, I'm so glad I do this job? Yeah. Um, in 2019, so this is actually before I was in this role, but I was in a part-time role in chaplaincy. And, and in April 2019, we went on a chaplaincy pilgrimage to Rome. Um, about 30 of us went with our chaplain at the time, Father Gerard, and it was just an amazing experience. And um, we got to go to St. Peter's, the catacombs, and, and we were lucky that Father Gerard had studied there and lived there. So he was able to take us around everywhere. We didn't need a tour guide, he knew everything. Um, and we just got to see the most beautiful churches. Uh, we also got to spend a few days in Assisi. Um, so it was a really amazing experience. I'll never forget it. Nice. I know because I went to Rome. Um, it was before, just before COVID hit here. So last year, February last year. And um, obviously, like I was, I mean, I find Rome incredible, you know, and the Vatican as well. And I suppose, obviously, um, you know, and we'll get to this a little bit later. Um, 
but pilgrimage would be a big part, wouldn't it, of that sort of, maybe not, is, would you say pilgrimage and taking students away, would it be part of your job? Yeah, and um, we do try to do one once a year, whether it's just to Lochter here in, in Ireland or if it's to Rome um, or somewhere like that. We, we do like to do one maybe once a year or every other year because students really enjoy it. Yeah, because it's the one thing that I think that the, the Protestant church, and I mean, I say Protestant church, there's thousands of them, but the Protestant sort of tradition, I think it's one of the, the this thing I find most um, frustrating is that there's not, pilgrimage is not a big sort of thing. It's not something that's really kind of um, emphasized and it's something that I, I really love about the Catholic Church and how the church has all these pilgrimage sites. And um, I was, and, and was it the last podcast or the one I did before we had, was sharing with my friend Michael and he was talking about the Camino. Um, yeah. You know, he, he's done the Camino. Um, but I think it's definitely something that's not really mentioned a lot in the Protestant church, which is a shame because it's, I'm sure you've had many experiences on pilgrimage that have been incredible faith-wise. Yeah, they're, for me, they have been so formative um, and I've been so lucky to to have gone on some. Um, I've been to Lourdes, as I mentioned, in Rome. And um, we also went on a pilgrimage to Krakow. And before going on that pilgrimage, I would not have thought that Krakow was an overly religious place to go, but it turns out massively, and um, there's so much history there, especially with Pope John Paul, now Saint Pope John Paul II, and um, yeah, and places like Tese as well, an amazing place, and um, and a lot of Catholics go to Medjugorje as well, and um, not somewhere I've been, but would love to go, and um, and Fatima, a lot of the sites are associated with um, Our Lady, which I know we're going to talk about later. Um, Fatima is another one of those. Um, and again, just such a great experience. They're such amazing places. Um, you definitely feel um, a little bit surreal whenever you're at some of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a, a really good point you make. And, uh, you know, it's formative. I think that's such a, you know, a, an incredible part of I me. Mean, I've, I've been on any pilgrimages or anything like that. I mean, my only pilgrimage, a pilgrimage I put on, you know, I've heard of Thomas has been up to the North Coast, spent a few days just walking and praying and all that sort of stuff. That's been the extent for me. So I can imagine that when you're going to places that are, um, you know, that they're, uh, there's a holiness about them and that sort of kind of sense of, um, you know, people before went and experienced things. So now there's a question, obviously, um, that this question is probably for, obviously, the, the majority of people probably listening to this. Um, are Protestant from the Protestant um, sort of background and I think this question here is sort of um, an interesting one from my point of view as well because working with young people um, and, and you know being involved in youth ministry for a number of years but there can be this kind of um, I think it's a, a false kind of idea that the Catholic Church um, doesn't really have a lot of young people kind of um, sort of, now that's a very ignorant point of view I would say but I think that's something that can be um, Catholicism you know you know there's this idea that your granny's a Catholic you know and that sort of stuff and it's an old generational thing so just for those people who maybe aren't um that kind of uh well versed in sort of the Catholic Church and it's, it's dealing with young people but would you say that the Catholic Church um, and what you attend there's a lot of a vibrant young youth in that yeah and um, definitely that's maybe something that's not highlighted enough um, but whenever I think of young people in the Catholic Church, the first thing I think of is World Youth Day, um, which is a huge festival held approximately every four years or so. Um, and one million Catholic young people turn out to Krakow or Brazil or Madrid 
um, or whatever it is, and um, they meet with the Pope and are addressed by the Pope, and they get involved in workshops, um, they pray together, they reflect together, they have mass together, and um, I have never been to a World Youth Day myself, but it is 100% at the top of the bucket list, and um, it'll hopefully be happening in Lisbon in a couple of years, and um, so definitely not, I think, looking at even a photograph or a video from where we stay can disprove that and um, young people do turn out and um, and for me I've been involved in youth ministry in the Catholic Church since I was about 15, 16 um, and we were never short of young people and then um, waiting lists for pilgrimages were always were always so long and um, uh, whilst it might be true that maybe you don't see many young people at mass and um, that's maybe not something they're maybe not just there yet and um, that's not something that they're connecting with yet but they're involved in other ways certainly and and um, if a parish calls for volunteers to deliver envelopes to houses or to help with stewarding at mass the young people they do this step up i have to say yeah and i certainly noticed that here in the chaplaincy and the chaplaincy is never empty <laughs> yeah i think it's something that um you know as i say you know that um, Protestants can look in and be like, oh, you know, the, the Catholic Church doesn't have a lot of young people because, you know, especially when, um, you know, you, from my my sort of, as a youth worker in an in a, in a Anglican church, um, it's sort of kind of, you would see that churches have much more of a youth ministry and then you'd sort of look at the, uh, the Catholic Church and there wouldn't be uh, a youth worker in, um, you know, the Catholic churches and in, in different parishes, but yeah, I think it's interesting you point that out because it is, there's a vibrant youth, young people who are actually, um, you know, their faith is alive and it's, um, you know, it's just that because obviously in Protestant circles, people don't see that. So I think it's interesting to talk about that, that there is that vibrant, um, you know, youth aspect and then obviously the world, uh, what was it called again, the World Youth? Yeah. Okay. World Youth Day, nice, yeah, because that's, that's. Well, um, like, as you mentioned, I, I definitely think, there are opportunities to learn from each other. Like as you were saying about being a parish youth worker or a youth worker in a parish, that is something that the Catholic Church, I believe, should be doing. We should have parish youth workers. And, you know, there are young people engaged in their faith. I, I know there are, but there is work to be done, um, definitely. Yeah. Well, 100% true. And it's, a, it's, it's that idea of learning from each other, because I think there's many things that, you know, the, Protestant church can learn from the Catholic church and how, um, you know, I think one of the, um, one of the aspects that I, obviously the pilgrimage kind of, you know, you know, the, the, the pilgrimage kind of idea of getting away and, you know, going different places is, is a very important one. But I also think that in the Protestant circles, there tends to be this kind of very individualistic, you know, idea of, faith is this very individualistic thing where it's, it's just about me and Jesus and that's it uh, and I think I love with the Catholic Church is from obviously you know reading up on it and you know is that there's definitely a the church is a very important um you know it's uh, you know the church is important and the you know especially it's it's obviously centered around the Eucharist and centered around um those where I think that's one thing I would look at the Catholic Church and be like you know to learn about how there's a community basis you know I just say if, if the parish puts out a, a help you know, a, a call for volunteers that people will come and help. And it's not kind of this, oh, you know, I don't belong to that church or I'm, I don't, you know, I don't like doing their Baptists, you know, I don't want to go. Um, and I think that's definitely a lesson that um, we'll definitely learn. 
So then obviously moving on to, um, you know, your, your personal uh, kind of, you know, the idea of your view of the Catholic Church, what would you say is your favorite thing about the Catholic Church or the church that you're involved in? Um, so this actually follows on from what you, you just said, Matthew, because my favourite thing about the Catholic Church is definitely unity and diversity. Um, I feel very much part of an extended family centred on Christ and bound together by values which are life-giving. Um, I'm enriched by the Catholic tradition. I feel very much an active participant in a conversation which spans both space and time. And um, I'm always struck when I speak to someone of an older generation who almost invariably seems to have an extraordinary capacity to quote verbatim from the Penny Catechism. And um, why did God make, for the sake of our conversation, Shannon, uh, to know him, love him and to serve him so as to be happy with him in the next? And um, for me, Catholicism provides the conditions most favourable to me living out and enjoying that eternal destiny and um, but my my favorite thing it is the unity and um, being able to go anywhere in the world and go into a catholic church and feel a part of the family no matter where you are and um, you know i don't i live in belfast but i'm not from belfast and um being able to go into a catholic church and just be welcomed in and um, because that is that is your family no matter no matter what the location is and um, so yeah, it is. It's just being part of a big family, and um, which I love. Yeah, and yeah, it's funny you say that after what you know I said about because I think you know a lot of the the problems of the Protestant sort of um, expression is that there's this kind of um, this is your wee church and this is my wee church and you know if uh, you know if you follow if someone you go make your own church you know you go make another one um, and I think there's that sense of yeah unity and diversity I think is a really good sort of phrase from an outsider looking into the church I'm like you know. It's definitely something that um, there's a unity there. And I, I don't know if you, have you ever heard of a, he's a, an American bishop called Bishop Barron? Yeah, Robert Barron, yeah. Yes, yeah, so I'm a big fan of him. Um, I have a few, like, have uh, you ever heard of a guy called Scott Hahn as well? Yeah. So there's Scott Hahn, Bishop Barron, and then I can't remember the other person. I think it's Brant Petrie or something. Petrie? Yes, I actually am reading a book at the minute called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. Yes, I've think, read that. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I've, I've read that myself. I was just sort of looking here at the, the books. But I mean, those, that's the one thing that they, whenever I listen to them to speak on YouTube or I read the books, there's just that sense of, um, uh, like it's an attractiveness to the Catholic Church where there's this kind of unity and di diversity. And uh, obviously we're going to get onto a little bit, um, you know, in a, in a moment about the, the sort of the, the the differences but also like um uh you know some of the um you know the things that unify the catholics together and um, that, that i really like so yeah i think that's um but it's interesting that, that those offers are uh, and those sort of uh, bishop barons probably one of my favorites and on the course i'm doing um for uh, the you know down in trinity is um yeah there was a, one of his uh He's part of the, uh, someone he, I think it's a video or a video series we'll have to read for the course. So uh, he's very ecumenical. He's across the, across the, the divide. So yeah, we'll have obviously chatted a little bit about, um, you know, the, you know, your experiences and of the church, your faith and that sort of thing. But now it's time to get into um, the, the, the meat and bones, as to say, of the kind of, because obviously we're, we're 100% 
Catholics and Protestants, we both believe in Jesus. We both, this week, we celebrate his death and resurrection and how we have, uh, you know, we have new life through him. Um, and we're all part of the one family, um, the body of Christ. And now, obviously, there's, but there's a lot of differences in that. You know, there's a lot of uh, diversity, um, you know, in Protestant circles, there's a lot of diversity. Um, but between the, the Roman Roman Catholic Church and uh, Protestantism, there's there's differences that get brought up quite a lot. And I just want to chat with them um, uh, uh, with you. And obviously, the first one is on Mary. Mary is obviously, um, you know, uh, you know, an incredible woman um, in in the Bible. But there's a there's a difference in terms of where sort of Mary, um, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Where Mary is kind of how Mary is treated. That's probably the the, the the best way. So explain a little bit about Mary. How in your faith, what does Mary mean to you? Um, and maybe share a little bit about what you, you believe that um, about Mary. Yes. Um, well, firstly, to clarify, and I know not everyone thinks this, but I think it is a misconception. Catholics do not worship Mary. Um, we venerate her, which means we give her due honour and respect, as I think all of us do to the mothers or those who play the role of a mother in our lives. Um, and for us as Catholics, she is the model of Christian discipleship. And she followed Jesus closely throughout her life, even though her circumstances were not always favourable. And she trusted and had confidence that God would see her through. Um, and that is the reason we hold her in such high esteem. Um, I admit that sometimes some Catholics rather over egg it, um, but in the main, a Catholic's love for Mary is just a wholesome and a holy thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's good It's a, uh, to point out because it actually frustrates me as well whenever people say, oh, you know, Roman Catholics, they worship Mary. And you can clearly see that that's not true. You know, it's just, it, it's a, a frustrating and it's more, I would say, more the fundamental Protestants who um, use that. But yeah, Mary is, a, Mary is such a fascinating, um, you know, person, you know, she's a fascinating, uh, you know, kind of, and it's even, um, you know, seeing, you know, the position that she has, that I think a lot of Protestants are scared to go near her because, because of what they perceive as being, you know, uh, worship and that sense. But it was inter it's interesting to say about, um, you know, um, you know about Mary and um sorry my mind just went blank <laughs> what you said about Mary being the mother figure um about that and obviously yeah. there's there's a big part in the idea of like where Mary there's the Immaculate Conceptions one isn't it what's it what, yeah in it? Um, so that again a misconception that even a lot of Catholics think that Immaculate Conception was the conception of Jesus, but the Immaculate Conception is actually the conception of Mary, and um, that she was conceived without sin. And um, in the Hail Mary prayer, we say Hail Mary, full of grace. And um, she is full of grace. And um, it was explained to me one time, um, using two cups. And um, if you have a cup that is full to the top of water, and you try and pour more in, there's no room. And um, so the cup is full of grace, and you try to pour in sin, it can't go in. There is no room. And um, so she was conceived without sin. Yeah, and it's because I, I never, that's not something I, I didn't realize um, about Catholic teaching until obviously I started um, reading it into it. Um, and I know a lot of Protestants, you know, that would be one where even I've had conversations with people and, you know, um, but it's, it's an interesting uh, sort of point because when obviously the angel appears to, uh, to, to Mary and says, you know, uh, you know, 
my full of grace, Lord, is with you, you know. Um, that God just didn't pick, he doesn't go, he didn't go any, 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 you know, he picked Mary and Mary was a very important. Um, so yeah, that, Mary is a fascinating uh, you know, person in, in, because I think as a Protestant, Mary only gets talked about once a year and that's at the um, Christmas time, Mary gets talked about, but actually she, um, you know, played a, a, a very important role. And what, another thing as well that I sort of, I know this wasn't in the, you know, this is just throwing this out here. Um, but a lot of, there's, I didn't realize there was a difference between um, sort of the, the Roman Catholic view is that Mary didn't have any other kids. Isn't that right? Yeah. So it's, that's, what's that called? That's called the, there's a name for perpetual virginity, is it? That's what they call it. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. It's like the, there's, a, there's a name that uh, they, it's given, it's the perpetual virginity or something where Mary didn't have any kids after. Something along those lines, I yeah. think, yeah. It's something like that and uh, but even that's a you know an interesting uh conversation because you know obviously we're i remember being told that oh james was jesus's brother um, and it was even just like we sort of stories in the bible when you know jesus is on the cross and he says to john here's your mother and you know even stories like that that um yeah kind of have made me question here wait a minute did did mary have any other kids so yeah, Mary's, and would you find that, um, I know this was a question towards the end, but I'll ask it now. Do you find that um, when you're dealing with Protestants, that Mary is, or maybe, maybe maybe you haven't had dealt with Protestants, but do you think that Mary is the, is the biggest stumbling block for Protestants? Um, yeah, I would definitely say it's up there. Um, yeah, I would, I would. I think that's the most asked question. Um, and it, usually it is why do Catholics worship Mary, which isn't, actually the case and mm -hmm. um, but I just think it's um it's an easy misunderstanding and um, to have uh, yeah well, that's good so as, um, as a, if, if, not, if nothing else she is a role model um, and yeah. you know and oh my phone turns out and and yeah nothing yeah. else she's a role model um, and we we ask her to intercede for us. We ask her to pray for us, and um, so yeah. it's not—it's not that we worship her. Yeah. So we intercede and um, ask her to intercede. Yeah. How we, that's great. And and so you can say here on this podcast, as a practicing Roman Catholic, you do not worship Mary. You venerate her. No, Catholics do not worship Mary. They venerate her. Yeah. There we go. So that's that's it. There, you've heard it here that uh, that's not true. So you can't use that argument anymore. Um, when you're well, my friend, Protestant friends can't use that. So yeah, moving on to the next. So the saints, we, we talk about obviously the saints and, um, you know, obviously uh, as an Anglican, you know, the church I go to is called St. John's. So obviously the saints are kind of, um, you know, uh, there's a, an Anglicanism, you know, the saint, we know I'm aware of the saints um, and, you know, that, that sense of thing. But obviously in the Roman Catholic church, um, the, there's, the saints are given a lot more, um, sort of airtime aren't they so because I, I was at actually I was actually at a a, a baptism there in the, last week in the my niece uh, I was getting baptized in the Roman Catholic Church and the, in the there was a, a part in it where they mentioned about the saints um you know like Saint Patrick was mentioned so you tell us a little bit about that like what position do the saints have in in the Roman Catholic Church yeah um we live in a culture of hero worship I would say and you know, if you think of all the celebrities who grab our attention, and if we were really to reflect on why, and um, 
we would have to ask the question of ourselves about the kind of culture that we're growing. And um, the states, however, in various times and places and in various circumstances, in their own very human, imperfect ways, sought to live good lives and remain close to Jesus. And um, the world can be a very dark and cold place sometimes. And I think we need to be reminded of the light of Christ and we need small lights to reflect something of his light um, and warmth to lead us on that path. And um, so that's why on a personal level, I always like to keep in conversations, in conversation with the saints. Um, and I think that goes for a lot of Catholics as well. Yeah. And um, most Catholics tend to have a favorite saint. Their, their histories are amazing and their life stories really are amazing. And um, at confirmation, we we take the name of a saint. Um, and you know, usually you're you're not very old at that time. So um, if you like music, you pick Saint Cecilia because she's a patron saint of music and things like that. Yeah, and who would you say is if you had to pick I, I know it's maybe not this is a silly question, like who's your favorite? But who's your favorite saint or which which saint do you um you know relate to the most and you find? Yeah, um, well, there's probably two. So my confirmation saint is St. Catherine of Siena, um, who I just think was such a, a strong, powerful woman. And she was a political activist and, and things like that, um, and a reformer. Um, but a little bit more modern, um, I think Pope John Paul II, who is now a saint, um, is up there as one of my favourites. Um, because I just think um, he, he was such a realist he had a real soft spot for young people um, and people still remember his his visit to Ireland in 1979 when he said young people of Ireland I love you and <laughs> I know that's quoted all the time and um, but it was true he loved young people and it was him that um initiated World Youth Day as well nice yeah so he has obviously a passion for for young people which is um yeah yeah because it's it's uh yeah when, I think it's really uh, such a, a powerful uh, sort of when you put it the way of saying that we because we do look up to celebrities in our society you know we look up to people we, we look up to you know men and women on who are alive today um so why wouldn't we look up to people who went before and you know it's a very interesting way of putting it um you know because i i love the story of like since st francis of Sissi, um you know cc i think i'm saying it right and um you know there's just some incredible saints who did amazing things and um yeah it's uh so the saints are definitely um, sort of a a great sort of a tool, and obviously the difference would be that um, you know it would be the praying to the saints because that's something that you know it's, you know as Catholics pray to saints uh, in that way, um, and that, that would be something I suppose that, uh, from my sort of experience that would be something that um, you know would be another thing up up with Mary, you know that people because I guess it's I should say as well um, and that your Bible is bigger than technically my bible isn't it yeah i think it's it's certainly broken up differently anyway yeah because yeah. you've got wisdom haven't you wisdom's in it yeah there's first and second maccabees is there yeah so there's it's yeah there's that's that's something as well i, I sorry i didn't i just threw that out there but um that's something there so there's a lot of differences but moving on to uh obviously this is my favorite kind of if i have to say there's one thing that i love about the catholic church it's the um, expression and the uh, reality of the Eucharist. So I love the Eucharist. So um, explain what, what is the Eucharist to you and what does it mean and, and how important is it? Yeah, so 
the Eucharist is it's the body of Christ and we receive the Eucharist um, when we go to Mass and Mass is every day that might be another difference we do have Mass every day not just on Sundays and um, not everyone goes to Mass every day that's another story but um, the Eucharist is the body of Christ and we believe in the real presence of Jesus in in the Eucharist um, and for me Jesus is the one person in history and in personal experience who has been absolutely true to his word and will never let me down. And I think that is the same for a lot of Christians. And um, even those who I love dearly sometimes let me down and vice versa. But Jesus is the one person who I can rely on to be true to his word. So when he says those words of blessing at the Last Supper in the Gospels, take and eat, this is my body. Take and drink, this is my blood. Do this in memory of me. I'm inclined to take him at his word. And I think that is the case for most Catholics. And um, for me, the Mass or the Eucharist, which in Greek means Thanksgiving, is a most extraordinary celebration of Christ's love for me and for the world, which I am privileged to share in and in which I want others to feel welcome at too. Yeah. Yeah, because that's the, the, I mean, I just love it. And you said you're reading the book by um, Jesus and the Root of the Jewish Roots of the Eucharist. And I read that, it was recommended to me. And um, uh, I, like, I, I loved it. And because it just came, brought alive that, because for me as, a, as, a, as growing up in a, I grew up in quite a traditional Protestant church. Um, and, you know, there was this kind of sense that the, the Lord's Supper or, uh, you know, it's like it's called or the communion is a symbol, purely a symbol. And, um, and it just, it sort of kind of was something that as I was exploring, you know, and, and becoming sort of reading into the you know the Catholic Church and sort of trying to open my mind and explore different avenues, I realized that the Eucharist is something that I find there's just something beautiful about it. There's something so beautiful that, um, because I know that one of the biggest Protestant kind of arguments against it is, oh, but you're that means every mass you're re-sacrificing. You know, it's like you know there's that verse in Hebrews which says the sacrifice was once for all, and um, but the argument is, oh well, the Roman Catholic Church every Sunday they're re-sacrificing, but that's not what's happening. Um, it's just uh, obviously sort of the, the idea that, you know, and I suppose our differences would be, would be that, um, you know, there's that kind of not taking Jesus' words literal, literally when he said, this is my body, you know, this is, you know, it's that idea. Oh, but it, it, was, only, it was only a symbol. And I've always found that confusing, like, where, you know, where is that? But um, yeah. Yeah, and it's such a yeah, it's such a, a powerful uh, part of the that I really love about the and it's something that Scott Scott Han as well. He has uh, been interesting uh, to read into. Um, topic, it really is. Yeah, and it is. It's uh, it would be the Eucharist would be the central. It would be kind of well, it is the mass. It's the central focus, isn't it? Yeah, we would describe it as the source and summit of Christian or Catholic life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's it's when I was sort of looking through the news and uh, with obviously churches not being open, um, you know there was that real kind of um, you know, you could see that sort of urgency from the Catholic Church and from the bishops that were speaking about you know this is central to our you know the, the Roman Catholic life and the Christian life. So it's um, while um, yeah, that's and I guess you know in Anglican churches we do um, we have we did before COVID. Have a nine o'clock service on Sunday morning, and it was what it's, it's what it was. But some churches do it once a year. Some, you know, so it's it's a fascinating part of the the uh, yeah. So moving on 
to um, the next one is uh, the rosary. So do you pray the rosary? How have you found praying the rosary? And um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I do pray the rosary. It is a beautiful prayer um, and I'm trying to get into the habit of a daily rosary at the minute. Um, it takes about 15 minutes to say, um, but it's an incredibly scriptural prayer and um, composed of the Our Father, the Hail Mary, which is in part drawn from the words of the Magnificat and Luke's Gospel and concludes then with a prayer giving glory to God, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Um, the mysteries of the rosary which they reflect on significant chapters of the life of christ and um, the birth narratives his life and ministry his passion death and resurrection and um, and mary is present within the prayer and um, but just as in life mary in prayer always points us away from herself and towards her son and um, so again we're not praying and um, we're not worshiping mary in the prayer but she is definitely heavily associated with it yeah mm. yeah it's uh it, it is um you know a fascinating you know because obviously the broken rosary is very heavily linked with mary isn't it yeah it's very you know, mary obviously um plays a big part and i guess that's as well it's you know just as you were saying that it's kind of similar to you know we would say because i know a lot of people would you know in sort of protestant circles you know one of the biggest problems they have is oh but what, you know, why would you ask someone to pray for you if you go straight to, straight to Jesus? But it always kind of reminds me of that, you know, because there's times in my life where I've said, went to a friend and said, can you pray for me? You know, and that person's never turned around and said, go straight to Jesus, don't ask me, you know. Um, yes. So it's, it's interesting that that, you know, because um, if we're all part of the, the, the one body, both here on earth and, and in heaven, then obviously there's that. Um, but yeah, the rosary has always been one that I found um you know, because I never understood for a long time, you know, obviously the big, um, if, if I was, if you asked me, and this is obviously coming out of my sort of ignorance, um, uh, was if you would have asked me what makes Catholics and Protestants different, I would have said, well, the Catholics carry around the, these beads, you know, and then it was only recently that I've realised that that was a rosary. Um, but it is a very structured prayer, isn't it? It is, yeah. Um, it is very structured. And then, the, the reason a lot of people then use rosary beads and praying the rosary is that it keeps them right and because it is so structured it helps you keep the structure throughout and you can't say the rosary without rosary beads no bother at all and but most people do use them um, and it's and um, it's a symbolic thing too that people like to especially old people you know that they, they love to have the rosary beads and they love to buy rosary beads as gifts for people yeah yeah and and that's obviously is a personal question but have you ever um, you know, in praying the rosary in times you've actually had an answer to prayer or you felt, um, you know, God really speak to you? And have you ever had a personal experience? A hundred percent, yeah. I, from personal experience, I would say the rosary is incredibly powerful. And it really is. It's, it's putting that little bit of effort into your day to take 15 minutes out and, and pray it, which often seems like a chore. I'm not going to lie, but... Um, it always pays off every time. It really does. Um, yeah. Yeah, well, that's amazing because no one can deny. You know, I always find that you know, um, um, and it's one of the things that you know. I, I would probably find myself. I, I sort of go towards the kind of Anglo-Catholic viewpoint. You know, very much still Anglican, but I, I I love a lot of things. Uh, you know, in that, and I think 
whenever I hear people, um, and I used to be like this, I mean, I used to be very ignorant of my mindset and very like, oh, you know, and I guess in Northern Ireland, there's an extra element to that as well. I think in the country, I think if you go to England, there's not the same kind of, there's obviously still the same differences like we're talking now, but there's not, there's an, there's an extra element here. Um, but, you know, I always find it, you know, if you have someone like yourself, who's a, you know, a believer and a follower of Jesus and a Christian, and you're having actual, you know, real experiences and, you know, then, you know, there's got to be something kind of, you know, because I think for thousands of years, either, you know, the Holy Spirit's been completely absent and it's all been, you know, a show or there's something really happening and it's just, so that's something I find um, quite interesting. But on the last sort of point um, is probably the, the, the most visual, I would say, or he is the most visual um, sort of representation of, of the, the Catholic Church and that is the Pope. Um, so yeah, what what is what does the Pope mean to you? Um, and um, you know, sort of, and obviously, how do you, how do you like Pope Francis? Are you a fan of his? Um, yeah, just chat a little bit about that. Yeah, um, I am a fan of Pope Francis definitely, and I'm also a fan of his predecessor, Pope Benedict. And um, for me, the Pope is the successor of Saint Peter, and that is the case for Catholics. And um, it's that very human character that. Who was, who was sometimes the rock, um, St. Peter, and because of his human weakness and sinfulness, sometimes he was the stumbling block. Um, in the early church, Jesus nevertheless imposed trust and confidence in Peter to guide and shepherd the faithful in sound doctrine after he had gone and ascended into heaven. Um, and it is that pastoring and shepherding role that the Pope continues. Um, that I draw much consolation from even though the truth that Jesus reveals to us is there and acceptable to all of us, sometimes we still need advice and guidance on how best to interpret that for ourselves and for our communities and in ways appropriate to the needs of our own times and culture and circumstances. And as I mentioned briefly, I've had the great privilege of visiting St. Peter's and St. Peter's tomb in Rome, where the current Pope resides. And there you will see a plaque um, on the wall that lists all of the popes from St. Peter right up to the present Pope Francis. And in a very real way, you get to see that you are the inheritor of an unbroken line of tradition, which in a time of uncertainty as we're in now, and flux and fake news, it symbolizes what it means to have a solid foundation, a rock for what you believe to be true. Um, so that, I suppose, in summary, just highlights for a lot of Catholics the importance of the Pope. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, because uh, I'm also a big fan of, um, you know, Francis, uh, Pope Francis and Benedict. Um, um, you know, I think Benedict is, and it was an incredible, what well, is, he's still alive, uh, uh, an incredible theologian. Absolutely. Um, really big fan of his, but yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, obviously the Pope would be the one that kind of, uh, as I say, the most visible difference between, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church and, and Protestant uh, churches. But yeah, there is something interesting in that in, um, you know, when you look back to the scriptures and, you know, Jesus says to Peter, you know, upon this rock, um, you know, and how Peter is singled out a lot. Um, you know, he very much is singled out a lot in, you know, uh, amongst the, the disciples. And it is, and I suppose, you know, sort of playing on that and sort of maybe taking it in a slightly different direction. You know, last podcast I did with my friend, um, you know, Jordan, we talked about Sola Scriptura, which is a, you know, 
was as a mantra of the you know the, the Reformation, and we talked about how um, you know I don't particularly hold to sole scripture because I think that's what leads to a lot of problems. Um, but in with the Pope and the kind of uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but the Magisterium is it called? Magisterium, yeah. Magisterium, okay. So it holds the tradition of faith, um, and I find that that's super interesting because. Again, that's probably going back to what, what I would say my biggest problem with the Protestant sort of kind of, um, you know, sort of way of doing things is it's very individualistic. And it's like, well, my interpretation is this way and I interpret it. And then you got your multiple different churches. While with that Pope and the Magisterium, I'm sorry, I'm butchering it. Um, and with that, you have this set faith tradition that has been passed down for, for many years and no one can come along and be like oh by the way um i'm going to reinterpret this whole you know because you have and the pope is obviously the the um the guardian of that in a way you know is if that's the right language to use yeah definitely um i think you're right um it's good to have a central leader and um, to be you know if nothing else to be clear on things and um, if the Pope comes out and says, no, that's not what goes, or yes, this goes, there is complete clarity for every Catholic church in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's a, a, you know, a simple way of putting it for like to help people understand the position of the Pope. The Pope is not just some, you know, cause it's, um, you know, he's, he's a, has a very important role and um, obviously it comes out of, so yeah, I guess that, I mean, that's uh, all those, different things are obviously um you know, slightly the differences that uh, we find um and i think that the one thing that i kind of get from this is that everything and you i mean obviously you can share if you, you agree with this um is that everything that the, you know the catholic church holds to and believes in those things that there's something from scripture to evidence would you would you agree with that yeah yeah i would absolutely yeah, so it's not, um, it's not this kind of, um, you know, conspiracy that, oh, you know, it was, you know, some, you know, you hear all these silly conspiracies about, you know, how in the Middle Ages it was kind of all these things. Actually, there's, there's scriptural, and even in the, the liturgy on a, on a, on a, on a, during Mass is very heavily um, centered on scripture. Is that, would that be true as well? Yeah. Absolutely, yes, we have um, readings. Um, both Old Testament and New, we have the Psalms and the Gospel. Yeah, and it's it's great. And the reason, obviously, for doing this sort of podcast is obviously I know that you know people listening may never have had, you know, been to a Catholic church. They may only know about the, the Catholic church through, um, you know, uh, through other people, and they've heard what other people said. Like me, growing up, I was told what the Catholic church was like by people who had never been involved in the Catholic church. They were just making, um, kind of remarks on it, and. Um, but it is fascinating when you actually sh- sort of strip it back a little bit and realize that here, hold on a minute. Um, uh, there's all these things, they, they, they come out of, out of scripture. So I guess obviously as we sort of bring it to a close, I mean, is there anything that as you know, uh, and I guess one, oh, sorry, another question I wanna ask that, um, that may, you know, may t- t- take you um, off guard here, but there's, is there a movement within the Catholic Church that's called, um, is it the charismatic movement in the Catholic Church? Yeah. Yes, and, and is that kind of, because obviously the, one of the biggest differences that um, 
that kind of a you know you have all these modern churches that are coming out in, in Protestant circles and um, you know they're very very heavily focused on you know I'm sure you're aware of the likes of Hillsong and you know Bethel Church and all these ones that are very heavily focused on the music and uh, and obviously we're seeing that you know there's literally a church down the road for me which is doing incredibly well but it's um, very charismatic. Um, and a lot of people would say there's that's the difference. You know, you've got these the singing, you know, the you know the singing, you know, in the Protestant churches, while the Catholic Church doesn't have that. But um, there is a movement, isn't there, within? Yeah, yeah um, the charismatic movement in the Catholic Church. Um, it's definitely influenced. I think Protestantism and. Um, their focus is expressing the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I think, I don't want to get it wrong, so I don't know an awful lot about the charismatic yeah. movement, um, but definitely very much into um, worship through song um, and kind of more spontaneous prayer as opposed, as opposed to structured prayer, not to say that they're opposed to any sort of prayer, um, but definitely, yeah, I would say that that does align with um, a lot of Protestant churches, whilst they are still very much part of the Catholic family, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, I just find that, that very interesting because that is probably the one, um, you, know, you know, from uh, people I've spoke to is that kind of, you know, there's this idea that, you know, and I think that sometimes Protestant churches become too much of a rock concert. And, um, you know, and I know previously I've talked about that on a podcast, but yeah, I think it's, you know, there's something, um, you know, that, you know, the, the Catholic Church is kind of not, and, and this is speaking as a Protestant, and from what I know and from listening to you, uh, you know, the Catholic Church, I think, is often not what people in Protestant circles think it is, and they, if, if they just understood a little bit, and hopefully this, this podcast goes a, a little way in helping that. Um, so, in closing, um, I guess, you know, working with young people obviously in your job and you know, being a young Christian yourself and um, I mean have you found much opposition from when I mean opposition I'm not saying you know you have people like you know in the streets you know kind of opposing um you know but I'm talking about have you when you've spoke with people you know really from Protestant backgrounds um you know what would be the most asked question maybe we've covered it already but what would be the most asked question you get or the biggest stumbling block there is yeah um so I think the main one we probably have covered, and that is Mary. Um, and one similar to that is, I've overheard this before, but I think it's just a misunderstanding. And if people just informed themselves better, they would know. But I have heard, um, is she, what is it? Is she Christian? No, she's Catholic. Um, I've heard that before. Um, so that would be one. But um, I have experienced people bringing the Catholic Church into question as an institution because of the negative history and the historical abuse crisis. Um, and my response to that is that so long as the church remains populated by human beings, we will always have to grapple with mysteries of sin and suffering. Um, and for me, I interpret those situations and those inauthentic expressions of true Catholicism as a personal invitation for me and for us and um, to strive more every day to give authentic personal witness to Catholicism and Christianity in my own life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I guess I've heard that before. I've heard people say, you know, what, you know, and it's, uh, you know, 
uh, they've said, oh, is that their Christian? It's been, oh, they're Catholic. It's like, same thing, <laughs> you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I get that. So thank you for, I mean, is there anything you want to, to share at the end? Is there anything you want to add? have already touched on this but we definitely live in a culture of comparison and spot the difference if you like and um, we definitely tend to focus on differences but I think there are when you really look at it broadly there are notably more similarities than one might initially think um, and that's something particularly pertinent this week as we draw closer to Easter and um, the most important piece for all Christians and um, as Pope John Paul II said as you know now is one of my favorite things and um, like he said, we are Easter people and Alleluia is our song. Um, and that goes for all of us as Christians and um, as people for whom Christ is strength and life and salvation. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, a great thing to finish on. The idea that, you know, we're all united um, under Christ and under his sacrifice and his resurrection. And I think that's, and, and obviously my hope and from this, and I'm sure, you know, yours as well, is that, you know, for the people that listen is like, to focus on the, the things that bind us together rather than the things that split us apart. And especially in Northern Ireland, um, you know, we need as Christians to be unified and we need to, to have a bit of unity. And um, yeah, I think one of the things I say, and I've said this in our podcast before, is that, because obviously, um, you know, I've, I've explored Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox, I just have super interest in those things, but just, you know, don't, don't listen to what people say, go explore for yourself, go read up on things and, um, because I think it does more damage when people make assumptions uh, on things. So, yeah. But uh, that's uh, anything else, or are we all we, let's, we've no, happy enough. yeah we've educated we've hopefully educated everyone now on <laughs> the the differences. But but Shannon, thank you for for doing this. Um, I I was as I said at the start, I was really looking forward to doing this and actually speaking to someone who is you know part of the, the Roman Catholic Church. He is a you know, whose faith is very important and very central. And um, yeah, so I appreciate you doing this and, and um, yeah. Well, thank you, I have really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been great. So yes, for those who are listening, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this and um, have learned a little bit more uh, about the Roman Catholic Church and how, um, uh, you know, and the, obviously the main thing is that we should focus on our similarities and, um, you know, and that main similarity is obviously Jesus. Um, who is the, the offer and perfecter of our faith, but I don't want to go into a sermon now. But uh, but thanks again, Simon, for coming on. And um, yeah, so everyone, I'll see you uh, next time in the next podcast. <laughs>